Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Sunrise. It's good to be here worshiping with you today. Good to be seeing your faces. It's good for me to be back, too, as we were home with sickness last week. Um, but we're good. The Dupuis are healthy. Um, but it's a good day to be, like I said, with you worshiping. Welcome to you online as well, worshiping with us. Um, if it's your first time um, visiting with us on this day, this Sunday, welcome to you as well. Um, uh, as, we were, as I was prepping for the, the songs this week, um, a couple of the songs had this theme. Um, one of my favorite stories in the Bible came to mind from Second Chronicles 20. Actually, I want to just, um, you, probably, you guys probably know the story, but I want to um, fill you in and give you a little refresher on that story as we uh, get set to sing this morning and pre- pre- prepare our hearts for it. So it, back in <clears throat> Second Chronicles 20, so this is the story where uh, the enemies of the Israelites were coming up against them in battle, and uh, the Israelites and King Jeho- Jehoshaphat are kind of freaking out because this is a huge army coming up, up against them. And they got on their knees, they prayed to the Lord and sought him. And he responded, and his spirit came down on a Levite man and spoke through this Levite. And he said, God said to these people, do not be afraid. The battle is not yours, but it is God's. He said, you'll not have to fight this battle. Just stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord work on your behalf. So this army, it was the crazy part of this, this whole situation is that the army was going to advance and go, but instead they put their singers, um, their worshipers on the front lines, and these singers started singing and worshiping, and they, they sang, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. And while they were singing and worshiping, the other army was thrown into confusion. They were just freaking out. They didn't know what to do, and they started battling and fighting against each other. And so God moved on the behalf of his people and uh, won the battle for them, and he is still moving and battling for us now. And uh, there is an army, there is an enemy that we're powerless against on our own called sin and death. But Jesus came and said that we will not have to fight, but if we stand firm, we hold our position, he will fight on our behalf. So this morning when we sing, we can declare that the battle belongs to him. We don't have to fight. He does it for us. Whatever is happening, whatever we may be facing or um battling against this morning, we can know that God is bigger, that He is greater. So when we fight, we can fight on our knees and with our hands lifted high in worship and praise to Him. So why don't we stand together? Why don't we sing? Why don't we praise and lift up His name this morning? Let's sing. You see 
our battles for us, who protects us, who is our refuge. Listen, God, we join with all creation, singing a song right now, you are great, you are good. We rest in that knowledge today, God. Give us the faith that we need to believe that you are there fighting our battles. That we don't have to rely on our strength, rely on our talents, how good we are, how good we've been. That we don't have to rest in that, that guilt and that shame that's hanging over us, but we can know that you are there sustaining us. And what we need to do is, like we just sang, go to our knees with our hands lifted high in worship. It may seem backwards to be in the midst of a battle, to sing and to worship and to be in prayer. But God, that's where we need to be. Remind us of that when we're in the midst of a battle. I can give that over to you. for a peace. Let peace just wash over us today. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can take a seat. Well, once again, good morning. I think I said it earlier, but I, I'm Dan Dupuy. I'm the worship director here. I'm also the community life director. Um, I like to help people get connected and feel connected here at Sunrise. Um, if, it, if it is your first time with us this morning or first time online with us, I want to welcome you. I want to say thank you for joining us. Um, there are QR codes in the back of the chairs also online. For those of you guys watching, a little link will pop in there in a second. That brings you right to our um, our website, the announcement page that has all the announcements that we're talking about, even some other things that kind of help you um, just feel welcome to feel at home here at Sunrise. And also, um, on that link, it'll bring you to a spot where you can fill out um, a little questionnaire for those of you who are new, um, wondering um, what it means to be a part of Sunrise. You can ask some questions of us as well, and we'd love to connect you, connect with you and help you feel at home here. So a couple of announcements today. Actually, I think just one. Um, announced this last week, but this Tuesday night, we are planning on having pub theology. So men, um, join us over at Hudsonville Grill at 6.30 p.m. We'll be um, discussing some theological things and having some good beverages as well. So please join us for that. And if, men, if you've not been a part of that before, you're not on the email list or whatever, um, just connect with us. Email us at info at Sunrise Men. We'll get you connected. We'll, um, um, honestly, you don't even need to. You just, the info is right there. So come join us um, at Hudsonville. A bunch of us meet together. And it's, um, if it's your first time, it's, fi- it's fine. It's, we're not doing any sort of like... Um, curriculum. We just have a, a new topic each time we can discuss together. So join us for that. 
Um, other than that, I'm done, Dan. Come on up. Good morning, everybody. How you doing? Good. It's really good to see you guys. Even Dan. Uh, <laughs> like Dan said, if, uh, if you've been here for the first time, you've been here for a while, we're glad that you're here, either in the room or online. Um, this morning, we're going to jump into a new topic. Um, over the last couple of years, I think many of us have seen how the Bible has been used from a lot of different perspectives to help prove certain points, whether it's political, financial, immigration-wise, uh, any number of different things. And so I think it's important for us to jump into this. One of our values here at Sunrise is to be a biblical community, that is a people who are informed by, who live according to what the Bible teaches. In order to do that well, we have to interact with the Bible in a way that helps us see it correctly. And we can learn from our spiritual ancestors some of the ways that that has been handled well using Scripture and some ways that it has been handled not quite so well. So over the course of the next several weeks, uh, we're going to be studying together uh, using a book here. Let me show it to you that I found online. I'm pretty excited about it, actually. The Use and Abuse of the Bible, which can sound a little bit like, ooh, this is going to be a little bit fun, nerdy, and it will be. Um, but, uh, again, I think that it's important. If you want to buy this book, you can follow along. You can buy it on Amazon. You can see it there. You can get it paperback, $29.95 on Prime. It's a pretty good price. But if that's too high for you, look at that. Ten of them used, starting from $4.97. One person is excited about that. Uh, you can get it electronically if you don't like analog. Um, many of us have interacted with Scripture in West Michigan over lots of years. And whenever we come to the Bible, we have all kinds of questions, we have all kinds of assumptions, things that we carry with us that help us understand in our minds what the Bible is. But I want us to ask the question as though we're asking it for the very first time over the next several weeks, what is Scripture? What is the Bible? For those of you who are new to this, the Bible and the word Scripture are kind of used interchangeably to describe a group of writings that were written over years of time by several different authors who helped us understand what happened historically to help us stand in the shoes of people who walked with these folks here, that if you were with us over the summer, you were with us to walk through the timeline of the high moments of Scripture. But the authors are also writing in Scripture, in the Bible, to help us understand who we are in relationship to each other, and to our God, and to this world that we live in. And so this question, what is the Bible, what is Scripture, is incredibly important. And on the heels of that, besides not just knowing what it is, we have to also ask ourselves the question, how should we use it? How should we use Scripture? Now, let me go to what looks like a dead body here, but what I promise you is not. Um, I got a lot of different things here, and I'm going a little bit out of order here from what I have on the slides, but none of you don't really know that, and now you do, and I don't know why I told you that, but um, I'll just... I'll reveal all of it at once. So what is the Bible? How do we use it? Some of this is going to resonate with you. Some of it won't. But um, I think along the way, you'll kind of feel like, yeah, I can identify with one or a few of these different pictures of how we use the Bible. Uh, this right here is my study notes and materials from studying Greek in college and in seminary. None of you are thinking inside, I want to do that too. <laughs> and that's okay, because at the time, neither did I. <laughs> Though we can look at the Bible, we can look at Scripture, and this right here is a, a Greek New Testament. If we were to hold in our hands the pieces of, fr the fragments of material on which the original writings of scriptures were written, we would not be able to read what was there. And some of us, even as we hold an English translation of the Bible, feel like we're holding something that is in Greek. And we have no idea how to understand it. And we feel like what we have to do is depend on our Hudsonville Christian, our Jenison Christian, our Unity Christian schools, or our churches 
to have people who have gone through all of this decoding work, to understand all of this, to help give us, as people who will never be able to access all of this, what in the world it is that the Bible is supposed to say. Which I don't know about you, but when I'm in those situations where I feel like I am at the mercy of someone else who's supposed to have completely understood something that for centuries women and men who have been following God have been trying to understand for all of time, I don't feel super excited about that. I'm like, I want to know what this says myself. But in that kind of world where it feels like the Bible is just Greek, we can push it aside and say, I'd rather do something else, right? You don't have to say this out loud, but I'm wondering if for some of you, whether it's online or in the room, kind of for you, Scripture kind of feels like that. How should we use it? Well, we should use it by sitting in a room and listening to somebody who's done all this work to tell us what it is we should be singing about it and doing with it on Sunday mornings. And I think that's how a lot of us live. And I don't say that to judge us. I say that because I think in all of these conversations that we have, whether it's around a dinner table or one of the round tables here or online as we get together to have conversations as a family, it's just good for us to be honest. So that's one way I think that we use Scripture. Another way that we use Scripture is there's this book here called Women in Science, 50 Fearless Pioneers Who Changed the World. These are not women who are in the Bible, but... We can look at the Bible like it's just a collection of stories of really great people a long time ago who discovered or really did some really great things, and I'll never do one of those things either, but when I'm bored and I'm going to be in the bathroom for a long time, I'll pull out this book and I'll read about some really cool other people whose names are up here and just admire what they did, and then I'll close it and I'll put it away. Now, side note, we are a community who celebrate men and women. If you have daughters or grandchildren and you want to help expose them to the great things that women in history have done, check out this book. It's a really good one. That sidebar is now over. Some of us can also look at Scripture as though it's our PPE. You know, we interact with a culture. This is how I grew up. I don't know about you guys. We interact with a culture that offers us things that can kill us. And so the job of Scripture is to give us a mask that we can put over our lives that will protect us from all of the evil things that are outside of us. Like for me growing up in the Christian school, can you guys hear me? For me, some of you who've been here for a while have heard this, um, it was a sin. You needed to protect yourself from not tucking in your shirt when you wore pants. You had to protect yourself from the world around you by not watching Disney movies because there was a time and space when the Disney movies that were being presented were just awful. And any good Christian, if they read their Bibles, would protect themselves with God's Word and push those things away. We can also look at it through the same lens of PPE as... i got to take this off. You hear this a lot in country songs. I saw it and experienced it in Alabama. You live your life however you want to during the week, and then Saturday night ends, Sunday morning comes... You interact with the Bible, and like Caesar, you wash your hands, and you're good to go. Got all that sin off of you. I'm going to read my Bible. That way, when God looks down on me, he smells Purell, and he feels good about what he sees. And my body is clean from all of the germs of this world. Uh, in the Baptist circles that I grew up in, we did that by renaming tables. If you were to cut this table in half, and it's a four-by-four you know the tables that you can have each of the four legs fold up? You can lay it down or stand it up and put it in the closet or you can bring it out when you're not going to play cards because cards are evil, but it's a game table. You can sanitize the things in this life based on your understanding of Scripture and call it something else so that you feel good about how it is that you're living your life. And I think we do that sometimes with the Bible. I'm not going to go into specific examples to help paint a picture of what that's like, but I think based on having grown up in West Michigan and many of us having done the same, that that's enough of a prompter for you to kind of understand a little bit about what I'm saying. That is not a shout out necessarily for Purell, but if you use that, good for you. Then there's these guys. These are fun. You know what a sawzall is, right? These things are great. I taught my son what this was this week. We're in the middle of a project at home where we have to destroy a whole bunch of stuff that we have to fix, and the best way to do that, and the funnest way to do that, is with the sawzall, because it saws all. 
It's fun. If there's something that's not right, you cut it out, right? Some of us, if you're like me, you grew up with a spiritual sawzaw, the Bible, and you used it, I'm going to turn this off, to cut out of yourself the things that were awful, right? You felt like that was your job, to lop off everything that wasn't good enough for God to see, or to at least hide it, maybe tuck it under the table there. But what we've also done with the Bible is we've taken it and said, I'm not going to use it to cut up me, but I'll use it to cut up you. You don't give enough? You like these kinds of people? You voted that way? I got a sawzall for you. And we turn the Bible into a weapon, right? Because it is our job to remodel the earth in the way that it should follow exactly the way we think the earth should look. And it's based on our interpretation of Scripture. Earth should look like people who have the same view of the economy as I do. And if they don't, watch out. The earth should be full of people who have the same values that I do when it comes to how the police are treated. And they've been treated poorly over the last few years. People should see the needs of minorities and how we should respond to them the same way that I do. And minorities have not been treated well in all circumstances. We can say to ourselves that, you know, the, the world should be full of people who think the same way that I do about certain political policies or leaders. And I'm okay as long as people agree with me and the stations that I listen to or the podcasts that I listen to. But watch out. Because I can cut you out real easy with the sawzall. We can ask ourselves questions like, you know, I've been in a relationship with you, my small group, my church, my family for a very long time. And we've worked through the remodeling needs of relationships that have helped us navigate a life where we haven't gotten along with our kids very well, or even with each other as friends. But now this specific topic has come up, and the sawzaw's coming out. Now this is going to hurt you a little bit because it's going to cut close to home, and if it does, that's okay, because again, it's good for us to be honest. And I've talked about this before, and some of you have come and talked to me about it, and that's fine. I love having conversations with people. Some of us have brought up the sawzall when it's come to, you going to wear a mask? We've brought out the sawzall when the question has become, are you going to care more about people inside of your church or people outside of your church? Or in, did I say the same thing twice? Are you going to care more about the people inside of your church or the people outside of your church? Are you going to spend as much money on this way of living against that way of living? Are you going to affirm this group of people? Are you going to accept this group of people? Or will you not accept or affirm that group of people? And I know that as I use those words, there are all kinds of feelings and emotionally charged things out there that can get packed into it. Please hear what I am saying, the words that I am using, not the words that I'm not. Are you going to be friends with that group of people? Are you going to be okay with those people being here or not? And we can turn the Bible into a weapon that's going to split churches or families. And we see a lot of that. Now, if I'm really honest, from the perspective of someone who has been in churches in West Michigan for a very long time, I think we're pretty comfortable with this one right here, right? You don't have to say anything out loud. You don't have to respond in any way that I can tell or anybody around you can. I think we're really good at this one. I think we're also really good at this one. I'm going to protect myself from the world. I'm going to separate myself from it. 
and in the times when I'm involved in it in a way that maybe my church wouldn't be okay with, well, I'll just wash my hands and be okay. I also think it's really easy to fall into the situation of these are great stories of people a long time ago, doesn't really help me now. And I want to suggest to you that there's a big problem when we answer this question, how should we use the Bible, with any one of these approaches. And so we still haven't answered the question, how should we use the Bible? And what I want to do is approach this question and help us answer it in a way that honors the way Scripture has been used throughout all of time since it's even existed. So I'm going to bring up a couple of points that, again, right now, are found in the the first part of this book. So what is the Bible? It's the one authoritative work within Judaism. If you are a Jew, if you are someone who follows God, who believes that Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph are the called-out special people of God through whom he will bless the world, then there is one book that best helps us understand who God is and who we are and who we are in relationship to him, and that's the Bible. Now, you don't just have to be Jewish to believe that. We are Christians. We are people who follow Jesus. And we say the same thing to the point where we put it on our website so that people know We are a community of people who see the Bible as the one authoritative work for us. Now, historically speaking, what's what's been the most authoritative portion of the Bible? The Pentateuch. That's a $5 word that means the first five books. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. For Jesus, for the apostles, for most of these folks here, when they were living... When they were asked the question, what is the scriptures? What is it that God gave to his people to know about him? They would have responded with Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Now, for those of us who stand on this side of history and we look back over the 66 books of the Bible that there are, we can hear that and wonder what in the world is going on. But if we look at it through the lens of history from where they stood... It makes a lot of sense. And as we go through the next several weeks, it will make more sense. So how should we understand the Bible? This is where we're getting really nerdy. Some of you are like me and you like to be nerdy. How should we understand the Bible? Not in these ways. It's not a textbook to be figured out. It's not an instruction manual of how to live life well. And we understand those realities when it comes to trying to get a three-year-old to sleep in the middle of the night. When we try to recover from a friend who has stabbed us in the back. Or when we're, we're struggling to try to work through a difficult situation with our spouse or our adult children, there is no index that says, okay, well, what you need to do is you need to not force this power tool. Uh, you should disconnect the plug from this power source and plug in somewhere else. The Bible is not something that is just this instruction manual in the way that we want it to be. It is instead, and this goes back to the Jewish context, this idea of midrash. I'm not talking about what you get if you're out in the sun for too long, or what you try to get to go away in your grandchildren's diapers. Midrash simply means an investigation. So the lens through which you come to Scripture, historically speaking, the way that all of these folks would have come to this collection of books that we hold in our hands and call the Bible, would have been one of investigation. Let's figure this thing out. It would not have been, all right, let's go through and find one person who has all the answers or the group of people who studied it most so that they can tell us what it says because they've taken the mystery out of it and they have everything systematized. They wouldn't have come to it and said, this is a great collection of stories, let's get this on our coffee table. It wouldn't have been a, all right, let's start taking this thing to ourselves and the people around us if they don't agree with this. It was simply an investigation. And so from the earliest moments 
the Bible has existed, there have been two kinds of investigations that have been ongoing. And if you are a, if you are a student of Jewish faith, you've heard of these things before. There's Midrash, Halakha. This form of investigation is a focus on how to walk. That's what that word means literally. How do we walk? You come to the text, you come to Scripture, and you ask yourself the question, how should I walk through this life well? And the focus is on rules of conduct or on legal rulings. Now, we're, uh, we, I know what that looks like, right? Don't smoke or chew or hang with girls who do, right? Here's an example from Deuteronomy. These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them repeatedly to your children. This is the way that you should live. Speak to them when you sit in your home, when you go on your way, when you lie down, and when you get up. You shall bind these words for them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be on your frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates. This is super straightforward. If you come to the text and your lens is one of how should I be living life, what should I be doing so that people can see and observe me and know that I am following God, passages like this explain that well. And so if we come to the text and we ask ourselves the question, how should we live, we find passages like this that say it very clearly. But then there are also all kinds of questions that this can bring up, right? Like, I don't really want to wear anything on the frontlets between my eyes. Like, I don't even know what a frontlet is. What does that mean? Do I have to walk around with the Bible, like, here? What does that mean? There's, there's an investigation that has to happen, right? Is this metaphorical? Is this literal? And so we have Bibles today that have Bible study notes in them, right? You can go on to BibleGateway.com and you can find all kinds of commentaries where people who have studied Scripture will tell you, here's what I think this passage means. These folks back here would have carried with them some kind of commentary, if you will. They would have called it Midrash that would have contained in the study notes of the Bible different perspectives of people who had took, taken the time to study what it said. And there would be no final answer on what it is exactly should be happening for a family who wants to try to live their life in this way. There would be no final say that said, yeah, you have to have a frontlet. It's got to be this box that's two by two. You've got to have a leather band around your head. And you've got to have the law right there. Now, that would be one of the thoughts that would be in the Bible. And then there would also be this thought over here that would say, no, this is simply a metaphor. We should be walking through life in such a way that the Bible is like a set of glasses for us. It's a, a view that we hold on all of life. And that amount of tension is okay. Because it's an investigation. I think we've lost a little bit of who we should be as God's people when we feel like there can't be any investigative work that has to happen when we come to Scripture. Second midrash, this other way of approaching Scripture, an investigative way, this is where you bring out the stories, and this is my favorite. I love stories. I think we live stories well. In the West, we watch stories on Netflix, Hulu, whatever it is. We call them seasons, and we break them down into episodes, and we live our lives according to stories, Right? We go to watch comedians because they tell great stories in small snippets. And if you pay attention well to the songs that you listen to on the radio, the comedians that you watch, the books that you read, the shows that you watch, there are multiple layers in all of the shows, right? Multiple layers in what a comedian is saying. And a brilliant comedian, when they're standing on a stage, will get you to laugh so hard at something that's happening, but then what you realize when you're done laughing or close to the end of laughing is that you're laughing at yourself because they've just said something that is heartbreakingly true and convicting about you. But they've gotten past your defenses and helped you understand something about yourself and the world that you live in that you wouldn't have seen otherwise. That's what's happening with the Midrash Haggadah. The notes that would have been in Scripture that would have been with passages highlighting for us stories 
that focused on what the author thought was important to understand, the text, that is, what it was that was written in Scripture and life. Here's an example. Genesis chapter 12. It's a story. Back here is Abraham. He's called by God. And there's this beautiful, memorable statement, this promise that God makes to Abraham when he says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and I will make you a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now it's very clear that this is not like Deuteronomy where it says this is how you should be living your life, wear this around your head, put this on your doorpost. This is a story. This is a story that helps us understand who we should be in this world now. And if we listen to this story well, we understand that our purpose in life, in this world, is not to take a saws out of the people who disagree with us so that we can bless ourselves, but it's so that we would understand that we are blessed by God so that we can be a people who bless others. That puts a different twist on what our lives should look like, whether we lived back here in this timeline behind us or the time that we live right now. There's an investigation. There are all kinds of questions here. What does it mean to bless people in all kinds of wonderful, beautiful, extremely hard and complex questions come up? How do we bless police officers who are scared to go to work because of how they have been stereotyped by the community, the national community of the United States? How should we bless minorities in our country when there is tension over whether or not they are legal or not legal? How should we bless our children in grade school when they are swearing? How should we bless other churches, other small group leaders, when they disagree with us? How do we do these things in what is beautiful and frustrating at the very same time about Scripture is that it doesn't exactly tell you. It invites us to investigate together and to figure it out in the context of relationship forcing us to live in relationship with God rather than in a relationship with a whole bunch of pieces of paper that tell us how to decline a verb so that we can get a scientific understanding of what it is exactly that's happening. So how should we understand the Bible? Two things. I'm, gonna, I'm landing this plane soon. I'm landing it soon, I promise you. We have to understand that it's a, a book of conduct. Midrash. It's a book that tells us how we should show up well in this world, how we should live well, conduct. It's also a book of life. It's a book that shows us what the best life we could be living looks like. We look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. This is the part of the New Testament written later in the timeline of history where we read that all Scripture is God-breathed and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, and we're super comfortable with this because this is a systematized list, bullet points. It's God-breathed, it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And we've either, we've either, ugh, we have either heard that so many times that we just mentally blow right past it we don't know for sure what that means enough that we're just like, okay, it's a book that's going to measure my life and tell me if I'm good enough. It's a book that's going to sweep me off when I need it. And it's going to slice me open <laughs> where I need to be sliced open. And my job is to do the same to other people. But I want to suggest to you that if we only look at Scripture through this lens... We're completely forgetting what I brought up to you before. That it's a point of investigation. It's a book that requires activity on our part. So over the next several weeks, here's what we're going to do. Our approach is we're going to survey history to see how Scripture has been used and abused since the time of Jesus to our own time. We have 
wonderful stories in Scripture where the Pharisees are getting together and they're challenging Jesus and they're saying, wait a minute, you can't, you can't love someone on the Sabbath because the conduct that Scripture tells us is that we shouldn't be doing any work on Sabbath. But then Jesus responds like a Pharisee and he says, no, 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 no. You're understanding that through this midrash understanding of Scripture, you need to look at it through this perspective that says our job is not to worship Sabbath. Our job is to show up well in this world and be a blessing to the people around us. So we have to save, we have to help people on Sabbath. And there's this beautiful tension that happens in the community of people who are trying to follow God well when they're interacting with each other and trying to figure out what is God calling us to do and to be. But then we also have pictures in our own time when the Industrial Revolution comes around and the state of Israel rises up and becomes its own nation. How is Scripture used then? Is it our job as God's people to defend and do everything we can to support a national Israel? There are people who come to Scripture through that lens. Or should we be looking at the spiritual Israel that Abraham started back in Genesis chapter 12 and recognize that our commitment is to a spiritual nation called Israel? And there are interpreters of Scripture who would say that is the right view. But we all come to Scripture carrying with us all kinds of pet projects, pet perspectives on the way that we should be using Scripture. Some of the darkest moments of American history have been when people used Scripture to start denominations and to support the enslavement of minorities. Is that what Scripture was given for? I look at that, and I think we look at that and say, that is an abuse of Scripture. We also have these beautiful moments where we have hospitals, we have nonprofits, we have Sunday school, we have social services, we have adoption agencies started by people who look at the text of Scripture and they say, we have to show up well in this world and bring health and wholeness to the people around us. And I think all of us look at that and we say, that is not an abuse of Scripture, that is a good use of Scripture. And in a world today where things are so upside down and there are people shouting from the internet and from stages and on our devices that we can do all kinds of different things to embrace and approach our world, we have to do the hard work of discerning are we abusing Scripture or are we using Scripture? And so our approach will be to look at history to see what that has looked like. Our job is to humbly and yet boldly consider how we, and I don't mean we as in the faceless, nameless people out there, I mean the embodied, named stories and people in this room. How do we use and abuse Scripture? For some of us, that's going to be extremely difficult. Because we have confused Scripture and the doctrines that come with that with the doctrines that have come from me from the Christian schools that we grew up in or the podcasts that we listen to or the ways that we approach our political environment. But our job as the community of God is to humbly and boldly come to him and his word, the scripture, and to ask ourselves, how are we doing? Our challenge then, of course, is to use and to not abuse scripture so that, going back to Genesis chapter 12, the, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That is the promise that God made to his people who would spiritually follow him, is that he would bless us and he would bless the world through us. Pause button. Is God blessing you? And would the people outside of our faith look at us and say, God is blessing our world through you? That's our challenge.
To put it in the language that we use here at Sunrise, our challenge is to use and not abuse Scripture so that the world is transformed through God's grace and His love. Hopefully, over the course of this conversation, we've gotten some fairly decent pictures of how it is that we have naturally and been taught to approach Scripture that in many ways have been wrong. Hopefully, we've also gotten to the point where we can see and understand that there's a need for us to have this ongoing conversation. As the people of sunrise, as the people who follow in the spiritual footsteps of Abraham, it is our job to understand that it is God who blesses us so that he can bless the world through us. And as we do that, I think what we understand that Scripture is, is really a story of God's love for us. And this is a great book too. If you have read the Bible so much that for you it's just a textbook, you don't really know what it says, it feels like it's a whole bunch of rules, buy this book. This is written by Sally Lloyd-Jones, who simply just took the key stories of scriptures and wrote them in a way that help us understand that it's a story of God's love for us. It's a love letter. There's no room for a sawzall in a love letter. <laughs> we don't set that aside and read it when we have time in an overly extended stay at a bathroom. We tuck those things in our hearts and we carry them with us. And they help us know who we are. And then finally, it's bread. It's what sustains us. Jesus says that we don't live just by physical bread alone, but on the Word of God, by Scripture, by the Bible. And so over the course of the next few weeks, we're going to do this. It's going to be a little bit of a different feel. Some of you are going to feel like this is not spiritual enough. Some of you are going to feel like this is too boring. We're going to try to do some fun stuff too to help us feel and see things a little bit differently to help us push, be pushed in the direction of loving God well, of using Scripture well so that we can see God's blessings in our lives and so that we can work with Him to transform this world through His love and His grace. God, thank you for your time. Um, that you've given to us, this gift of uh, living in a timeline of history where we can look back on the things that you have done, the people you have blessed, and for giving us a story that we can follow, that we can fall in love with, that shows us who you are. In the process of all of this, would you help me, would you help us to recognize that you've called us to be a blessing? You haven't called us to be right, you haven't called us to be loudest. You haven't called us to be safe. You haven't called us to be rich or beautiful. But you've called us so that we would be blessed. So God, over the course of these next several weeks and the conversations that we have, help us to approach them creatively, boldly, humbly, so that we can be a blessing to the world around us, just like you've called us to be. In Christ's name, amen. Well, we're going to continue in worship and in song. And we can use this time as well to give our offerings to God. Um, just to thank Him for blessing us. We can bless Him, bless this church, bless this community through what He's um, given to us. So let's sing, let's be generous, and let's um, continue in worship. the kingdom of light in the kingdom of light forever under your dominion you're the king of my life you're the king of my life you reign above it all you reign above it all over the over every heart there is no higher name Jesus you reign above it all on the 
cross the work was finished God you poured out your life just to give us new life now from the lips of the forgiven hear an anthem arise cause Jesus you're right let's stand together you reign above it all you reign above it all you reign the universe and over every heart is no higher name. Jesus, you reign above it all. Let all of heaven and the earth erupt in song. Sing hallelujah to the everlasting one. There is no higher name. Jesus, you reign. sent the darkness running out of an empty grave now seated above in glory enthroned on the highest praise you sent the darkness running out of an empty grave now seated above in glory enthroned on the highest praise you sent the darkness running out of an empty grave, now seated above in glory, enthroned on the highest praise. You sent the darkness running out of an empty grave, now seated above in glory, enthroned on the highest praise. You reign above it all, you reign above it all. And over every heart, there is no higher name. Jesus, you reign above it all. Let all of heaven and the earth erupt in song. Sing hallelujah to the everlasting one. There is no higher name. Jesus, you reign. Above it all, you reign above it all. Oh, you reign above it all. You reign above it all. You reign above. There is no higher name. Jesus, you reign above it all. Let all of heaven and the earth erupt in song. Sing hallelujah to the everlasting one. There is no higher name. Jesus, you reign above it all. Looking at Genesis chapter 12, this, the way that's written in this book is beautiful. God promised until one day your family will come to number more than even all the stars in the sky, Abraham. I'm going to make your family very big. You'll be my special family, my people, and through you everyone on earth will be blessed. And Abraham said, it's too wonderful. How in the world can this be true? This is what I want us to cling to as we move through these next several weeks and even beyond. Is anything too good to be true, God asked? Is anything too wonderful for me? 
We serve a God who's made promises and has kept them over the timeline of history for so long. May we be a people who follow him in a way that we can say there is nothing too good to be true. There is nothing too wonderful for God so that we can be a family, a spiritual family who is blessed by him to bless the world. Thank you for being with us this morning. We love you guys. We'll see you Sunday.